Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic, episode 21 of North Star Big Book. Welcome back. I am so happy you are here to join me. We are on We Agnostics, part three. We're on the top of 50. One thing I wrote down on the top that I did not have you write last week, because I ran out of time, is today I know, today I know, and then I wrote in parentheses, have faith, because faith equals knowledge. Today I know, in parentheses, have faith, that this works, that this works, and this we're talking about is the steps. And then I wrote, this is a process that leads to faith. This is a process that leads to faith. It's so beautiful and magical the way it was created, and it's so God, because we are lost and broken, and we don't want help, and we don't need help, and we don't want you to come near us, but we're dying, and we need you, but we don't want to need you. And then someone who is recovered and knows the way and can guide us through the darkness grabs our hand and says come with me follow me I will climb with you but you have to do your own climbing you have to carry your bag I'll carry mine I'll show you how to do this and through that process the person that we grabbed becomes someone who believes and then they are recovered and then they go out and they grab the next hand of whoever is lost and broken and doesn't want help but doesn't know what to do and they say I used to feel like you did I know what it's like to be here. I'm, I was so scared too. Just come with me and trust me and I will show you the way. And that's the beauty of our step 12. On page 50, the first, the second paragraph says, in our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. I underline the rest of the paragraph. Experience has taught us that we that these are matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. And I wrote on the side, next to for our purpose, I wrote a spiritual awakening through the 12 steps. That's the purpose. We want to have a spiritual awakening through the 12 steps. We want to change. So the book says that their experience has t- taught them that regardless of what you feel or believe or understand... In order to get the spiritual awakening through the 12 steps, you don't have to be worried. We each get to ask these questions on our own, in our own time, in our own way. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. I underlined, every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. I kept underlining, this power has in each case accomplished the miraculous the humanly impossible. And for me, the humanly impossible was to go without drinking and to stay not not drinking and to be happy and not want to kill myself. That was humanly impossible. It says, as a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. And then I bracketed the next paragraph and I wrote on the side, life with God. So this next paragraph is, is about what life is like when we use a higher power. And I underline the whole paragraph on 50 on the bottom. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. It means revolutionary is huge, drastic, like we were talking about before. It's a massive change. We should see people that we haven't seen for a while, and they should say, whoa, you look totally different, because we should be different. 
It says, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. I wrote on the side, promise, we will have collapse and despair. I love when the big book offers me the real promises of what can happen in life. They tell me right here, I'm going to face collapse, despair, and the total failure of my human resources. And while I'm facing those, if I do this work, I'm going to have a new power, peace, and happiness and sense of direction flow into me. Remember, nothing can flow into me if I'm blocked off. So my job is to keep myself unblocked by 10 and 11 and to give it away in 12. And while I'm doing that, my higher power is going to give me what I need. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. And underneath simple requirements, I wrote the steps. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. I wrote on the top of 51, it's kind of long. It's like three lines, so you're going to want to squish it if you want to write it. I need an open mind. So I wrote, I need an open mind. Remember, we talked about how I don't have an open mind until what I'm doing doesn't work. So I don't have an open mind until I'm exhausted and out of plans. So I need an open mind. And then I wrote, circumstance makes us willing circumstances makes us willing and I wrote next to that step one alcoholism beats me into a state of reasonableness where I say fine I'll do whatever you tell me to do I'm miserable I cannot go on another day circumstances made us willing then I wrote step two and then I wrote have to believe you can change nobody comes back to AA if they don't have hope We don't come here because we're bored. We come here because we believe that it's possible, even if the belief is so teeny tiny. Step two is have to believe you can change. Step three is make a decision. We make a decision, I'm going to change. I'll do this. And then I wrote steps four through nine, take action. So the way that you know that someone has made a decision, which is step three, is they're doing four through nine. And then I wrote step 10, 11, and 12, I wrote the word faith. We do not get faith until we've done 1 through 9, and we're working on 10, 11. It is not promised to me yet. Okay, it says, I underlined, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. So we're talking about someone with a closed mind and fixed ideas, and life is miserable. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the, I underline the word most, most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today, yet in ancient times material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered, I underlined, fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Fettered means bound by chains. 
my mind was fettered with old ideas. One of the biggest ones was don't trust anyone. And I wrote next to those words, superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas, I wrote keeps me from growing. So that's where we get to go back and say, are you getting the results you want with what you're currently doing? I circle the word fixed ideas because all of those keep me from growing. One fixed idea that many people I get to work with in AA are people that are in the big book are intense and crazy and um, they often use words like Nazi, which if you're listening to this and you can hear me, my grandparents survived the Holocaust and many of my family did not. And I understand that the word um, <clears throat> big book Nazi is to convey someone who's like really strict about that, <clears throat> but it's not a word that I'm comfortable with as a Jew. And it's not something that I would want to be known as because those are people who tortured and killed humans in ways that are unimaginable. So am I a big book thumper? Yes. Am I a big book student? Yes. Do I love the big book? Absolutely. I do not like that word, and I would love if you could pass on that that's a really offensive word. Um, but the big book is something that a lot of people I work with have a fettered, fixed idea about, which is that, you know, I don't want to hang out with those people because I don't want to be like them, and they're always talking about the book, and they have a fixed idea about us. And they've I've had people that say that they hate my home group who've never been to it. And I'm like, well, at least come so you can at least, like, have a reference because you've never even been. It says, some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around Earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical hearsays. Um, it says on the side, I wrote, the only way we change is to believe differently. The only way we change is to believe differently. So we cannot do 3 through 12 until we do 2, which is to believe that maybe this can work for me. The way that I describe 2 is I say, may, I believe that there's a teeny possibility that if I do 3 through 12, it'll maybe work for me because you've shared your experience about it. I don't have a relationship with God at that point. And I wrote, my beliefs can limit me. It says... We asked ourselves this, I underlined, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in this pres- even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful cl- flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of Atomic River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege, I wrote on the side or on the bottom, can't make them willing. So I can't make somebody willing. It's not my job or responsibility. Can't make them willing. And I wrote, our job is to help the newcomer come to believe. Our job is to help the newcomer come to believe. And the way that I do that is with this book. And one thing I wrote in the way front of my book, I wrote, my job is to help a girl see what her options are. My job is to help a girl see what her options are. So the way that I do that and come to believe is I help her see you can stay in step one or go on to step two. You can stay in the miserable life without living, death without dying that you've been doing, or you can try this way. These are your two options. I'm not going to tell you what's right or what's wrong. This is on you. 
But my job as a sponsor is to help her see her options. My job is not to tell someone who's not doing the work that they're going to be okay. Because that's lying. My job is to be very honest about it. I tell girls who are not doing the work, who are about to leave, I want you to know that what you've been doing is not Alcoholics Anonymous because I don't want you to believe the lie that you did AA and it doesn't work. And I especially don't want you to go around telling other people that AA doesn't work because that's just not true. You just didn't work it. It says in the way bottom, privilege to the birds on page 52. Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story and airplane travel was in full swing. My husband lives in Virginia, so every other weekend I get on a plane and I go there. And I never, ever, zero times think about, I wonder if this plane will be able to fly. But they did. They didn't know that that was real. This is completely understood for us. It says, but in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Show any longshore man a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he will say, I bet they do it, maybe not so long either. I bracketed the rest of the paragraph. It says, is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new? I underlined, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does. I wrote on the side, styles, that's like clothing styles, cell phones, TVs, cars, music, in jeans, like denim jeans. And you can write anything else you want. But if you just think about any one of those, let's just think about telephones. So when I was little, the phones that they had were the ones that were attached to a wall with a squiggly cord. And you could not walk around with it. Then they got the kind that were um, portable, is that the word? No, cordless. And they were big, big with like a metal, like, r2d2 like antenna and you could be a cordless which is so cool and then they got those phones which would speak like i had my parents had a phone that was like you have a telephone call or you could press a button and be like call pizza hut and it would like call your dad um and then somewhere down the line i don't even remember when they came out with you know the car phones that you see like in the 80s movies that were like really, really big and were connected to the car. And then they came out with, with real cell phones. And when cell phones first came out, the smaller they were, the better they were. So like I had a cell phone at once that was black and white, did not have any pictures or color. And that was the size of a credit card. And that was so cool because it could fit in my jean pocket. And then they came out with flip phones with the buttons and you could press the buttons and you could text so fast. And I remember when I had my flip phone and I was awesome at texting with my two fingers, the people who had smartphones told me, oh my God, Carly, you have to get the smartphone. And I was like, I don't even know how to use that. I love my buttons. I can do this in two seconds. I'm never going to get a smartphone. Well, here I am recording on my like fourth smartphone or fifth smartphone and I could not imagine my life without it. Like literally... If my phone broke, I would drag my children out of the house in their jammies and go to the Apple Genius Bar and beg for help. I can't do anything without my phone today. My phone is how I do everything today. And so just looking at the phone, the phone that was connected to the wall that um, had the squiggly cord and that you couldn't move from, the ones that I, when I was little, they even had the kind that you dial and you had to press a number and go all the way down. Those worked, and they could communicate with me from I could talk, call somebody and get to another person, same way that I'm doing on my smartphone. But 
The smartphone can email, can Google, can get me a map, can give me music, can record a podcast, can tell me the weather, can time things, can find dates, can give me reminders, can talk to me, all the things that a phone can do. And one day someone's going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to be laughing at my description of what a smartphone is because they're going to be on something totally more amazing. And the idea is that we're willing, so willing to let go of something that we thought we loved and that was amazing for something new that's better and faster and more more capable. And why not take that same ability to have that faith and capacity for it that we have in our phones, in our TV screens, in our denim that we're wearing and apply it to our higher power. And if the God I'm currently using is still stuck to the wall and I can't move much with God, I need to get a cordless God or I need to get a God that can help me do this, this, and this because life's going to keep happening and as life keeps unfolding, I need a God that's more capable and God is massive. So the problem isn't God, it's me and the problem is my conception. So I say to the girls when I'm talking about this to them, I say, if the God that you have is a punishing God and you're scared to share this with your God, then you need to go to the Apple store and upgrade your God because your God is not capable. You're not getting the capabilities that you should really be getting. Okay. So I bracketed the next paragraph and I wrote on the side untreated alcoholism. And this is one of my friend Donna's favorite parts of the big book. This is a checklist for untreated alcoholism. This can happen in sobriety And I've come to this checklist in sobriety without a solution, without the steps, wondering what's wrong with me, believing the lie that my mind told me, which was I need to stop going to meetings because my real problem is a mental health problem and I need to get a different medication and a different doctor. This was without doing the work and just going to meetings. And I found myself here. So when we read this, I would make a little check mark next to anything that you could have um, related to before you got spiritually fit. It says, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems this same readiness to change our point of view. I underlined, we were having trouble with personal relationships. I put a check there. I underlined, we couldn't control our emotional natures, which was just the way I live. Check. We were prey to misery. Check. And depression. Check. I underlined all this. We couldn't make a living. Check. We had a feeling of uselessness. Check. We were full of fear. Check. We were unhappy. Check. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Check. And I wrote on the side, checklist, untreated alcoholism. And then I also wrote, this can happen sober. And I wrote sober in quotation marks. Because the sober we're referring to is just really dry. It's not recovered. This is not recovered. This is unrecovered. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, I underline the next two sentences. We had to stop doubting the power of God. I underline and starred, our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. That's it. Black and white. Are your ideas working? If they are, awesome. No, no skin off my back. If they're not, try what we're doing. The Wright brothers almost, I underline the words childish faith, and I wrote on the side, we will be provided. So we're talking about the kind of childish faith, not from a broken home where where there's abuse and neglect. We're talking about a regular home where a child doesn't wonder if there's going to be a blanket on their bed, doesn't wonder if there's going to be food at their table, doesn't wonder if they're going to have um, safety in their home. Those are just normal regular things regardless of how big or expensive or not their lives are 
They don't worry about food, safety, or comfort. That childish faith is what they're telling me I need to have with my higher power. That they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. So they're saying that what they believed was really the reason why they were able to do it. Without that, nothing could have happened. We agnostics, above agnostics, are without knowledge. And atheists were sticking to the idea that I underlined self-sufficiency would solve our problems. And I wrote, I made a star next to self-sufficiency. And I wrote this on the side. You can only write it if you can relate. I wrote, used to be my God. Used to be my God. My God was, just give me a minute and I'll figure it out. I've got this. Stop talking. I've got this. I will figure it out. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. So how do I become someone who is a believer, who behaves like a true believer? So for me, instead of trying to not be someone who's self-sufficient, I don't know how to do that. So what I do is I try to be someone who depends upon God, which means when I get afraid or I don't know what to do, I ask God for help and I act as if God's got me. Logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. I underline the next sentence. It is not by chance we are given the power to reason, to examine the evidence of our senses, and to draw conclusions. I underline that is one of man's magnificent attributes. I wrote on the side, we will do this after 1 through 9. So after 1 through 9, we are given the power to reason, to examine with evidence. I cannot reason and examine with evidence while I'm in the middle of my full-on blocked-off hallway. But when I've cleared out my hallway, I will be able to do that. And I wrote, I can do with 10, 11, and 12. So I can do these things with 10, 11, and 12. I've got to do 1 through 9 in order to get to 10, 11, and 12. And then with 10, 11, and 12, I can use my mind and be logical. That's awesome. We agnostically inclined would not feel satisfied with a proposal which does not lend itself to reasonable approach and interpretation. Hence, we are at pains to tell why we think our present faith is reasonable. I underline why we think it more sane and logical to believe than not to believe. We, why we say our former thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said, we don't know. I bracketed and underlined the next paragraph, the whole paragraph. I wrote on the side... Physical craving and mental obsession. And it says, When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face a proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And the book says that I'm crushed by my own crisis that I impose on myself. I've placed myself in step one. I cannot postpone or evade because I've, I'm stuck. And I have to face these two choices. It's either God or no God. How do you want to live? Because the way that you're living is not working. What's your choice? Arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with, I underline, the question of faith. I underline, we couldn't duck the issue, which is between one and two. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desire shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out in welcome. 
we were grateful that I underline the word reason had brought us so far. But somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. So you see how reason is capitalized? They're going to be talking about that here, that like a God, that our own thinking, our own reasoning is what we've always depended on and relied on. This really spoke to me. I always trusted my own thinking and I always knew, like I said before, that if I could just figure it out, I'd be okay. And that always worked for me until it didn't. It said, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. I underlined, perhaps we have been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile and we did not like to lose our support. That was natural, but let us think a little more closely. Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood, which is right now, by a certain kind of faith, I underlined certain kind of faith, and I wrote underneath that, in my own thinking and in the bottle. In my own thinking and in the bottle. On the top of 54, for did we not believe, I underlined, in our own reasoning. And I wrote above that my old worship. I wrote, always had faith in my own reasoning. I always knew I could figure it out. I always knew if you just gave me enough time, I could figure out my next plan. This was my old worship. I underlined, did we not have confidence in our ability to think? So the book is trying to talk to the agnostic or the atheist and say, look, you have the ability, the capacity to believe, to have faith. Didn't you have faith in the way you thought? Didn't you have faith in the bottle? And I could not argue with either of those points. What was that but a sort of faith? I underlined, yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful, I underlined, to the God of reason. And this kind of blew the top of my head off because I realized I was a person of faith. I just was a person of faith in an area that I didn't realize I needed to change my direction that I was looking at. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. And for me, I wrote down, always had a plan. That was my God of reason. I always knew what was next. I didn't fly by the seat of my pants, even though I wanted it to look like that. I wanted to look like a freewheeling hippie, but I always was calculating and manipulating and figuring it out and had a plan. And I was fast on my feet trying to figure out my next plan. That's how I ended up in AA was after I overdosed and tried killing myself the walk home when I went to bum a smoke and I went to figure out my next move. My, my, my plan wasn't to call the woman from the hospital and say, I need help. My plan was to go get a smoke and figure out my next plan. We found too that we had been worshipers. What a state of mental goose flesh that used to bring on. I underlined, had we not variously worshiped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves. And I couldn't argue with that. And then with a better motive, had we not worshipfully beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower. Who of us had not loved something or somebody? How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason? Little or nothing we saw at last. Were not these things the tissues out of which our lives were constructed? Did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? I underlined, it was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith. Capacity is ability to hold. Or love or worship. I wrote on the side, capable of faith. In one form or another, we had been living by faith and little else. Which is really uncomfortable if you're agnostic or atheist and proud of it. 
Imagine life without faith. Were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. But we believed in life. Of course we did. We could not prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. Yet there it was. Could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons created out of nothing, meaning nothing, whirling onto a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seem more intelligent than that. At least so the chemist said. Hence, we saw that reason isn't everything. I underlined, neither is reason as most of us use it entirely dependable, though it emanate from our best minds. I wrote on the way top of 55, AA is my smidgen of hope. AA is my smidgen of hope. And then I wrote second step equals willing to believe. Second step equals willing to believe. Yet we have been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation. I circle the word spiritual liberation from this world. I underline people who rose above their problems. I underline they said God made these things possible. And we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. This is so important. This is one of my favorite parts of AA is when people who are sober come to meetings and share their struggles and share how they get through the unimaginable things that we do in life and do it with their higher power and their tools. And they give me the faith and the belief that I can do that too. We're going to stop right here. Next week, I'm going to talk about where to find God. We'll finish We Agnostics, and we'll get into how it works. Thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing week. It's totally up to you.